Hey, Armani. How are you doing? Hey, pretty good. How's it going? Uh, pretty good as well. It's been a great day. Yeah. Um, are you in uh, Are you in LA for NFCLA right now or not at all? Uh, no, unfortunately, I'm. Uh, or fortunately, I'm here in Chicago. No traveling for me at the moment. No. Have you managed to have like a chance to go to these events? Uh, I've not had a chance to go to the events. I've just been uh, with the team here, head down, uh, building stuff. I mean, fair enough. None at all. Not even one of the breakpoints. Um, yeah, breakpoint is probably the one conference uh, of the year that I will always make an effort to go to. Uh, but otherwise, I try to limit my travel. Okay, fair enough. Is all the backpack team in uh, Chicago? I imagine there's some kind of an like out of uh, out of Chicago team. Yeah, we've got people all around the world. We probably have the largest cluster here in Chicago, but I think we have like most of the time zones around the world covered. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I don't know if you're like very, if you know much about how I usually like handle the podcast, but like I'll typically just ask a few questions and then and see where it goes from there. And I think what I like asking the most and what you've probably answered to a bunch of times is the um, how did you get into crypto? So just like a brief overview of how do you go from becoming a developer and working at Apple to creating a fucking backpack and an NFT wallet of crypto? Yeah, wallet. for sure. Uh, happy to k- kick off. Um, if yeah, I don't know what the protocol is here, but happy yeah, to answer. Go that for question. it. Yeah, just go. <laughs> has to go cool. answer questions for sure. Yeah. So. Um, kind of had like a pretty uh, normal path into into crypto for a lot of people in 2018, 2017, 2018. Um, was working a bit at Apple, working in big tech as a software developer. Um, number kept going up, read the Ethereum white paper, probably the combination of those two things kind of really fo- forced me to pay attention to everything that was going on in, in space and, and kind of just like fell in love with a lot of the ideas and, and the tech and um kind of the cultural movement that was happening um, at the time in the Bay Area and all the folks that were interested in um, in Ethereum and this like kind of concept of a world computer. So, you know, jump ship from big tech and uh, never looked back. Um, didn't really have any plan at the time. Mostly just wanted to like work on open source and work on cool stuff, um, work on these new kind of distributed systems that were getting built um, and kind of have worked on everything from, you know, Ethereum uh, L2s to, um, you know, new alternative, um, non-charted uh, blockchains, was at Oasis um, Labs for a bit. Um, and most recently, over the past, like, two, two and a half years, um, have been working on uh, in the Solana ecosystem. So I've worked on everything from wallets to, um, you know, DeFi to um, most recently, um, you know, XNFTs and, and Backpack and building all the stuff that we're doing today. Yeah, that's a fucking journey and a half. How um, is is crypto talked a lot about in in those big tech companies? Is it really something that was um, like prevalent in the space, or was it still quite niche there? Um, I mean, I would say it's like more prevalent than you know other parts of the world, but still still quite niche. Um, I think that like you know um, the way the way I basically got introduced or not introduced to Bitcoin, but like really the reason why I started paying attention to it. Is because one of the one of the other devs in my in my office was trading all the time. He was kind of like a super smart developer slash degenerate trader, uh, kind of a normal profile of, of, of somebody that you would see in, in Web three. Um, but um, so there are definitely pockets of people that care about this stuff there, um, and I think it's only grown 
over time, especially as like some of these companies have built up um, divisions and have been forced to like really think about product and, and, and a, a Web3 strategy, if you want to put it in those terms. Um, but I think like, you know, it's still pretty niche, honestly, um, and honestly still kind of, you know, um, uh, it's it's still kind of a... a it's, it's still kind of a weird kind of industry, right? The majority of people in tech in Silicon Valley, especially developers, are super skeptical of crypto still. Um, and like a lot of them just actively dislike it. Um, and so crypto is still very much a very small part of the tech world. Um, and and so I would say like within kind of the typical thing companies, it's still very much like kind of a, a weird subculture that hasn't kind of permeated the, you know, the mainstream kind of developer minds of, of, of big tech. Yeah, 100%. Was making the jump into, because you said that you just made the jump without really like thinking twice and with no regrets, but how, was it hard to make that jump at all? Did it just make sense? Because, I mean, I'm sure you've seen people like on the timeline say, yeah, I'm going full-time Web3, usually in the bull market more than the bear market. But I feel like for quite some people, it's like, it's an important jump and there's a lot of thought that has to go into it before you go from that like more considered stable web two job to, to web three? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it wasn't super hard because like it was the middle of a bull market and I kind of always like kind of had a feeling that I would like do startups. Um, I think like big tech is cool. It's nice to have a, you know, work with really smart people on products that get kind of touched by, you know, everybody on the planet. Um, but ultimately it's like, you know, a lot of those problems are solved and, and, and if you really want to work on like cutting edge, um, stuff then like you really kind of got to go either into these like you know you know very selective hard to get into research groups of these big tech companies or um working in startups and um crypto at the time like you know number kept going up there's kind of nobody in any of the big tech companies working on these types of distributed systems and so it was just like kind of like a no-brainer for me i wasn't really scared or anything because like you know you could always go back to big tech um it's nice part about being a developer is you always kind of have job security um at least if you're you know um reasonably kind of um confident in your abilities um so yeah never really, i was fortunate enough to where i didn't really worry too much about kind of you know that i was pretty young at the time you know relative new grad um and so that was the time to do it so jump ship and you know never looked back how once you get into crypto how did you end up on solana making an nft wallet what was the because i feel like you're kind of settling into this place right as something that's really like the main project if i'm not wrong anyways why did it come to that and not for example um the previous projects that you've already worked on, like Ethel2's, DeFi, all of that. Yeah, so um, I originally came into Solana, like right when basically Mainnet happened. Um, I was part of like that first wave of, of, of like, you know, engineers that came in because of, um, you know, because if you're around at the time, like DeFi summer 2020, um, SBF kind of, you know, had invested a bunch in Solana. He had created Serum. Um, and, you know, we all know what FTX is today and all the horrible kind of crazy shit that went down there. Um, but at the time, he was kind of like the darling child of the industry. And he kind of inspired an entire wave of people to enter into Solana. Um, and so I was I was definitely part I was part of that wave. Um, so kind of paid attention to the blockchain kind of because of him, um, which is like really weird to say kind of nowadays, um, almost embarrassing to say, honestly. Um, but that's that's the honest to God truth. There was a whole bunch of us that came in because because of SBF. Um, and, you know, at the time, Solano was this like no name L1 um, 
it was part of this like very large set of of new blockchains that um, were funded in like 2017 2018 because you know ethereum had this huge surge of demand um and inability to to scale to meet the uh to meet the demands of kind of the market and so all these l1s got you know funded by all the biggest vcs in the world right there was solana which was like kind of on the at the bottom of the list and then there was all these kind of like darling child of of vcs right there was like you know near there was avalanche there was one of my former employers oasis um there was you know thunder um you know um cosmos polka dot there's all these kind of l1s that came about um and solana was really this like kind of very um hidden very kind of um, you know, rough, dirty gem that nobody really knew about. And it wasn't really until kind of the kind of genesis of, of DeFi on Solana with like order books and, um, and Serum and, and, and kind of that whole kind of wave that came um, that people really started paying attention to it. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I got exposed into Solana and kind of was working on all sorts of stuff, right? So I worked on, worked on DeFi on Solana, uh, worked on like one of the first wallets, um, and probably the thing that like, um, most people kind of he here probably know me for is like the developer tooling. So, um, that I worked on for Solana. So I built, you know, if you're not a dev, I basically built, um, one of the smart contract frameworks or basically the, the main smart contract framework everybody uses. You can think of it as like react for, for Solana or Ruby on rails for Solana. Um, but basically the things that like a lot of the contracts that are, are you use today are written in so things like you know candy machine for example auction house um you know magic eden's protocol um these are all written um in anchor lang which is the the set of tooling i built um so kind of have been you know just like an engineer working um in the sauna ecosystem um you know vibing with people and and trying to like solve you know um a lot of the problems that i saw to kind of grow um to grow the ecosystem, right? Started with kind of DeFi, um, turned into developer tooling, um, and most recently kind of NFTs, XNFTs specifically, and um, Backpack. Damn, there's such, that's such a fucking array of things to have worked on in such in an arguably short span of time. Like what, two years, two and a half years now, I guess? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's impressive then. So what what kind of kept you on Solana? Because obviously you're exposed to it, but I imagine once you're in Web3, you hear about all the other chains. So why did Solana make more sense to you as a dev at the time? And why does it still make more sense to you now? Yeah, so maybe bear with me as I go into like some technical details. But like the in, tw in 2018, yeah. um, I was working on Ethereum and working in state channels and, and I'm still a huge fan of Ethereum. Um, but I very quickly came to the conclusion um, that like the the architecture that they were going with for for the L1 and like the vision that they had was just not something that like it was interesting to me, but something where I thought there was like alternative ways of building these things. Um, and I basically just wanted to explore kind of new architectures, um, you know, parallelly executed, um, non-sharded runtimes was specifically like the thing I wanted to work on. Um, and so, I, you know, this is why I joined Oasis for, for a, a bit because they were one of these kind of new blockchains that were built in this manner. Um, you know, that project didn't work out because it turns out it's like really hard to build startups and build a build an L1 ecosystem from scratch. Um, and so when I left Oasis, um, I started looking at other kind of ecosystems and, and, and um, you know, Solana, was like one of these other one of the few that was actually satisfying these kind of like design constraints of like how I thought like you should build these things. Um, and, you know, what was interesting about Solana was like its emphasis on like scaling with hardware. 
um, and wiggling that design constraint. Um, and so kind of like between those two things, just like from a fundamental, like technical perspective, um, it just seemed like, yeah, this is obviously like the way that you should build the, one, one of these systems. Um, and so let's like kind of like, you know, explore it and, and invest time and energy into it. Because, um, you know, if the L1 is not sound at a technical level, like doesn't matter, like all of the hype and all the NFTs and all the brands that are on it, um, it's not going to actually work out in, in the long run. Um, and so that was kind of like the the original thinking um, behind like, you know, um, why should we stay on this network? And even kind of if it's going through all these like kind of crazy challenges, you know, um, everything from network downtime to, you know, um, the FTX fiasco, um, you know, all these kind of crazy things. But I very much continue to believe it's like one of the most sound um, technical foundations to build an L1. Um, And there's not a lot of other teams that are really approaching the problem like they are and, and really kind of you know, hitting that point in the design space that really resonates with me. Um, so I think that was definitely a big, a big part of it, just like from a, from a technical point of view. Um, but then even just beyond that, right. Um, you can't just like have a really good database and a really fast system. Um, you have to have like really strong social layer. You know, if you have a really strong culture, right. And Solana has, you know, been one of the only kind of L1s. I think there's like Ethereum, Bitcoin, and, and probably Solana. There's like really the, the only three that had these like really killer, really strong developer ecosystems and, and cultural kind of, um, you know, emergent communities that have formed, you know, in Solana, particularly due to NFTs. And there's this like um, insane social layer that's been created. And that's something you can't really fork. Um, that's something that's like not going to go away. It doesn't really matter kind of, you know, um, what happens and how big of a you know bear market that we're in. Um, these are all kind of like unique moats that are really unique to the Solana ecosystem. Um, and so that's kind of like kind of how I view it. And it's like, you know, come for the tech, stay for the vibes. And that's kind of like where we're at today. Yeah, but I think the stay for the vibes is something a lot of people probably resonate with, especially especially in the bear market because you're not staying for the money anymore when a lot of people have probably joined for the money. But yeah, I mean, the developing side, I don't I don't have that much expertise, so I can't always like get into those like the, the like nitty nitty gritty details and everything. But is there um like Rust as a language, is there a reason that that one would be better than something like either Haskell or Solidity or other languages that make Solana better because of the language itself? Or does it have nothing to do with it? Yeah, I think um, I think there's like kind of two things to consider with the language. There's like, you know, the the, the runtime. Um, so it's less about like the, the, the cosmetic syntax of a given language of like Rust versus Solidity and more about like what's happening um, at, at the runtime level. So, you know, if you think of, about Solidity versus really it's EVM versus versus uh, the Solana C-level runtime. The, the, really the main difference is, is parallelism. Um, and so you could think of it as like, you know, um, EVM, at least the way that 99% of EVM runtimes are built um, is, is like a single core machine, right? It's like you have a single thread that you can run your smart contracts on. Um, and, and so this would be like computers that were built in like, I don't know, early like i don't know i don't remember i know your computer history but like the 80s or the 70s or whatever um and you know um you know solana is a multi-core machine um you have multiple threads that can be all be executed at the exact same time um and so this is like a, a more modern like you know macbook um m1 um with like a bunch of cores and the fastest like processors in the world um and that's kind of like the, maybe the analogy that that i would make there okay 
yeah, that makes sense. At least to me, it makes sense anyways with all the core things. But okay. So, I mean, back to what you're working on now, which is, I think, what most people have come to know you for, right? XNFT and Mad Lads. Because obviously there's the developer community that probably is most thankful for you, most thankful about uh, Anchor. But XNFT and Mad Lads has been really the rise to, I want to say fame, but I'm not sure that's accurate, but kind of being known, especially through Mad Lads. How has that been like how did that mostly how did that come to be the origin of mad lads and forming that team from what i imagine was devs that you met on solana maybe not onboarded from web2 what was that creation so um like after kind of building anchor and that becoming like a really kind of prevalent part of the developer ecosystem um i kind of very quickly like was started thinking about well what are the new problems that i that i should work on right like anchor i think is in a pretty good spot right now i mean there's still always more work to do um but i just basically started thinking about like well what are the next problems to solve what are the next projects that i should be working on um and you know i wanted to hire hire a team and 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 you know um create a company and and grow so that you know i can you know just do more cool stuff um and so that basically started happening last year and I wasn't really sure what I was going to work on. So I started like thinking about like all the most like kind of important problems in the space. Um, and originally what I wanted to work on was um, building kind of, you know, new interesting like incentive mechanisms um, for kind of anyone on any blockchain, basically. Like I think that um, tokens and incentives, you know, NFTs, for example, are like one of the most powerful unused um, levers that kind of, projects have at their disposal, um, but that aren't really currently used in a very effective way, right? Like people create tokens, people create NFTs, but there's not a lot of people that are creating like mining systems or, or, or quests or incentives where you like do something of value to a network um, to encourage participation and, and, um, and engagement. And so I started thinking about all these things um, and basically very quickly came to the conclusion, well, in order to build anything new and any new protocol at the smart contract level, I would have to like build, I'd have to get distribution on it. Um, and so decided to build a wallet um, and that kind of, that was kind of like the genesis of, of, of backpack um, where, you know, you start thinking about a wallet and basically, you know, you know, if you just, once you decide doing it, then you think, well, how do I build like a next generation wallet? Um, and basically this kind of like, you know, maybe without going into all the details of, of the backpack thesis, um, basically decided to build XNFTs, decided to build Solana, decided to build Ethereum, um, be able to connect every blockchain. Um, and then, you know, Mad Lads came out of this kind of, um, this whole kind of desire of not just building product for oneself, but also building product with and, and for community. Um, so very much like the way that like we think about these things, it's like, how do we build stuff for for the community? How do we build stuff for Mad Lads? Um, and if it doesn't make the lives of Mad Lads better, then it's like there's no point in doing it, right? So like, how do we how do how do we like you know, you know build as much hype, as much engagement, um, as much excitement, as much value, all for those ten thousand people all around the world? And so like from from that perspective, um, Backpack is really just an exercise in, in that, right? So if you look at every feature that we've built, it's all been simply a tool to kind of like build the best 
NFT community possible. Um, and this is like starting to like show itself now that we have like the art coming out and we're about to mint and this kind of like community is about to be formalized. Um, but you can like walk through all the features and kind of like quickly see this, right? So like at the base level, you have a wallet, right? Um, but backpack's only a, 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 you know, a wallet in the same way that like an iPhone's a phone, right? Um, you, know, you know, iPhone has, you know, um, text messaging, you have the ability to, to, to call people, but, it, but it's so much more than that, right? You have an application ecosystem, um, it's secure, you can surf the web, um, you can do all this like really cool stuff, right? You have an app store. Um, and with Backpack, it's kind of similar, right? And so like, you know, well, it's a wallet, you know, we need to be able to use Solana. Um, but there's also like the concept of identity, right? There's like a username, this profile pick, there's the ability to have bi-directional friendships, right? Um, this is something that's like super important for us if we're building a community, right? Where we want all the mad lads to basically, you know, meet each other IRL. And, and to create real friendships and create a real network um, that kind of like spans the entire world um, that can kind of like conquer the industry together. Um, and so we created, you know, um, a, a social graph. Um, but it's not just that, right? We have, you know, push notifications. Well, it's like, well, why do we have push notifications, right? Well, it's because, you know, Matt, you know, we need to be able to message the mad lads and send them notifications, right? Um, and not only that, but we also need to allow developers to hook into this, right? So they can build stuff for the mad lads and they can send push notifications, right? You know, you can imagine, you know, something as, um, you know, simple as like, you know, an NFT creator sending announcements to wallets to, you know, um, a notification saying that you got liquidated uh, on Mango or something, you know, um, you, you know, the, the, the possibilities there are, are kind of endless. Um, and it's not just kind of push notifications either, right? You know, you can bridge, you know, or we haven't built bridging yet, but that's like on the top of the priority list. Um, we're, we're, we have Ethereum, we have Solana right now, and now we're going to have bridging, right? So we'll be able to have Ethereum kind of people uh, being able to get access to the Mad Lads community, right? They'll be able to bridge over, they'll be able to use the apps, they'll be able to use the messaging, they'll be able to, you know, use the marketplaces. And so we want it to be able to have a frictionless user experience um, to get distribution and, and tap into all these sources of liquidity uh, from kind of people from every blockchain, right? Not just stopping at Ethereum and Solana, but basically every blockchain, right? Right. We should have Polygon. We should have Sui. We should have Aptos. We should have Near. We should have Avalanche. We should have everyone. Right. And they should all have access um, to to the Mad Lads. Right. Um, and the list just kind of goes on and on. Right. We show NFTs and we have X NFTs. Um, and not only do we have X NFTs as applications, which you could think about as like a Web3 iOS or Android, but we also have X NFTs as digital collectibles. Um, and so Mad Lads will be kind of like the first example of a 10K profile pic collection where when you actually view the artwork inside a backpack, right? Normally, if you like click on like a D-God or a Board Ape or whatever, you just see the metadata, right? You just see like a description and you see the artwork. Uh, but with Mad Lads, it's actually gonna be very different. You're gonna click on the artwork and you're actually gonna be inside of an application, right? So that it's like this fundamental, like, um, you know, improvement on token gated experiences where you have the application that's bound to the artwork itself and the and the NFT actually owns the code. Um, and so you can build a lot of like really compelling stuff on with this, right? So when you get a Mad Lads, you instantly get access to the holder chat, right? So you click on the artwork, you have you're in the holder chat and you instantly are inside, you know, um, you know, this this group of of people that hold this NFT, right? Um, and so we you know, it, we have all these features um, all of this product that's being built, um, but it's all being built around this core community, right? It's all being built around the Mad Lads. Um, and so that's really the connection there, right? It's not product for the sake of product. It's really product for the Mad Lads and building just like the best, most powerful, most compelling social product uh, to simultaneously build, I don't know, one of the most like compelling brands in Web3. Um, so that's kind of like where we're coming from with this. Uh, that's a lot to unpack. Um <laughs> So 
why because from what i'm understanding the idea was first backpack and then mad lads came next right uh kind of like we're the the idea was always to like have a community driven product um so like it doesn't matter what we were what we're going to build if it was if it was backpack if it was something else um we were always kind of we've been thinking about doing an nft project for i guess over a year now um and so they kind of go hand in hand okay yeah so a lot of it so i guess the reasoning for using nfts was really to be able to access that community side and having all this engagement and all this well, just basically the community, right? Yeah, it's like there's this thing in startups, right, where like you should identify your thousand like true users or your thousand true fans. Um, and from this perspective, like everybody should have an NFT project, every startup. Um, you know, granted, not every startup wants to like be as engaged and as like excited about community as we are. Um, but I think it's a really cool like mode of operation um, where, you know, you have this really a lot of engagement, not just for hype, not just for marketing, uh, but also just for like actual, you know, product feedback and for actually building cool stuff. And I think like particularly for social product, it's a really um, cool symbiotic relationship. I was going to ask how that change felt to go from a developer who's working on projects either on your own or with a team to having all of this group of people that are giving you feedback that might be giving you shit as well, that are being extremely positive. Sometimes there's got to be such a difference in the way you act and the way the, the energy behind the project, right? Yeah. Like I think I've been fortunate enough that I've worked on like open source for, I guess, I don't know the past like six, seven years. Um, and it's more or less exactly the same. Um, where you have, you know, all these people all around with the world that are just depending on the stuff that you're doing. Um, you know, in open source, it's maybe even more crazy because you have all these companies, you have all these individuals from all these like people that are usually very opinionated and they'll definitely tell you their opinions uh, on, on the stuff that you're working on and you're just constantly being scrutinized. Um, and, and it's just really like tough kind of, but really fulfilling kind of, um, you know, life as an open source kind of project maintainer. Uh, but with NFTs, it's honestly like, you know, it's the same thing. Um, you know, granted the audience isn't, they're, they're not developers, um, but kind of the way of working building in public, um, being very vocal about kind of everything that you're doing, trying to satisfy the, you know, many diverse sets of people with different requirements and different desires and different thoughts and opinions about all the stuff that you're doing. Um, it's very, very similar. And so, you know, I think we were lucky in the sense that, like, you know, not only me, but like much of the team came from working on open source projects. Um, and um, so I think we've been able to transition to, into it in a way that's been a lot more smooth than one would normally expect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How, when you kind of have that swap to more community than like actual developers, how did that like how does the recent surge of hype felt basically having all those people come together was it a surprise was it really planned how did that go that's a good question i think like you know what was it a surprise was it planned i think like in some sense like yes and no i think that like we've been working in the Solana ecosystem i think doing like pretty valuable stuff kind of since mainnet launched right like two and a half years ago um and so in in from that perspective, it's not like really a surprise because like uh, we kind of like, you know, um, know a lot of the ecosystem. We've been like, you know, lucky enough to kind of make a lot of like, 
you know, good friends and, and have been fortunate enough to have that advantage where we just have like a lot of the cultural context with a lot of the projects. Um, and so I think like, you know, we've been kind of working our butts off, honestly, uh, for, for several years now, kind of in Solana. Um, and so I think, you know, from that perspective, it hasn't been a surprise. Um, but I think from, from another perspective, it's definitely been a big surprise. Like, you know, I think the one of the biggest things is just like how international everything is. Um, I think I very much had a US centric view of the world kind of before working in crypto, before working in Web3, um, honestly, before working in Solana. Um, but I think, you know, Mad Lads in particular really changed my perspective there because like, you know, we're doing all this stuff and um, people are engaging with us, you know, whether they're making videos or tweeting or hanging out in Discord <laughs> and it's crazy, right? You see these people, you know, in New Zealand, you see people in Africa, you see people in, you know, South America, you see people in Europe. It's like kind of insane, right? It's like, you know, you see a couple of people in the U.S. and you're like, oh yeah, that, that's, I, that's, that sounds cool. But like, oh, look at this person that's like, you know, um, you know, climbing this mountain in, in, in New Zealand and you're like, oh, what the heck? That's like kind of insane. Um and so I think that's been like a pretty awesome surprise um, and just like kind of how supportive everyone's been. Um, I think we've been lucky and maybe this is because we're pre-mint, um, but like everybody's just been like super kind and super just like thoughtful and, and friendly and, and courteous. And, and this is something that like I honestly did not expect because um, you see so much drama with, with NFT communities online. Um, and I think we've been really lucky to like have a community just built with like really kind, amazing people. That's awesome. I mean, I think there's always, there are a lot of great people in NFTs as a general rule. It, it seemed to me anyways, but obviously there's that toxic side of the timeline. And, and I will agree that there's probably is a factor that it's pre-mint. So people are excited and they're not yet looking at the soul that they spent and saying, why is it under four or why is it under the price I bought it at? But it's part of the game right so i don't know it's if it do you think it's going to be once that mint happens do you think that scrutiny from people who really have invested money and everything is going to be that similar to what it was like working in open open source software with the developers putting that level of scrutiny on it or are you expecting certain differences that will like change your outlook on that it's a great question. I feel like I'm not really expecting it to be too different just because like whether it's NFTs or whether it's like kind of the developer community on Solana or Ethereum or whatever, it's all kind of crypto. And if you've been in crypto kind of for the past like couple of years or whatever, I guess I've been in it like kind of full time since 2017 now. It's like it's a war zone. Twitter is like totally a war zone. And so I feel like in some sense, I'm like kind of used to it. Um, I think like there are times when it's like, you know, pretty stressful and, and you feel like, oh, this person's like attacking me or whatever. But, you know, the good old block button is useful for that um, to maintain your sanity. Um, so I don't know. I'm not like too worried about it. Um, I think, you know, we're really just like the types of people to just like, you know, tune out the noise and just have our heads down working on cool stuff. Um, I think we also have the luxury of just having like a really talented kind of group of, of builders. And so I think like, you know, a lot where a lot of the stress comes from is less like, you know, are these people going to be like, you know, bag holders and being mean to me online? And it's much more from the perspective of like, oh, are they actually going to like what we built? Are we actually doing the right thing? Um, you know, how do we make 
how do we push the space forward? How do we make people's lives better? And like, if the answer to that is like, well, we're failing and we're not doing, we're not doing, we're not doing that. Then like, that's the type of thing, I guess that worries me um, above anything else. Yeah. So I guess in the same sense that like you've moved from this kind of, well, working on open source to now leading that NFT community, how has also like the switch between really just being mostly focused on developing to becoming more of a founder and having to have this, I'm, I'm imagining this, but maybe actually it was already the same as in open source, but to having to implement that side of really marketing to reaching out to other people, to having to building a community to all of this part that isn't, that isn't head down code. It's really getting out to people and reaching out to people and networking and making sure they're aware of you and getting people hyped over the art. It feels like there's two different uh, skill sets. Yeah, it, t- it totally is two different skill sets. And I feel like, you know, it's definitely like something that I'm like learning on the fly. Um, definitely, definitely something I'm not like perfect at. Um, but it's really interesting with NFTs because like normally you have teams that are really good at one or the other, um, but are not really good at both of them. Um, and I think to have these like really incredible outlier effects, you really need to nail it on both sides. Um, and so it's definitely something that like I, I, I deeply appreciate um, and, and like definitely take notes from like a lot of the other people in the ecosystem that do like a really great job of like building community and marketing and stuff. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to like building a team, especially as a founder. Like it's not really, you know, the founder is usually the person that gets all the credit, especially because the person's like the most vocal and the person that's like on the Twitter space and whatever. Uh, but it really comes down to to hiring, honestly. That's like where it all, you know, that's where you, you make or break kind of the 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 culture of, 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 you know, whether it's a company or the community or whatever. And so we're lucky that we have just like a lot of like awesome people that can like pick up the slack, whether it's like on the dev side or on the, um, the community building side. Um, and we put like a lot of thought and care and, and, and just blood, sweat and tears into, into both sides of the equation. Have you also had to rotate into the role of being more of a boss that's managing what people are doing and leading the different projects rather than actually being um, coding and actually creating that without the code, right? Yeah, I think like, you know, I'm not really a big fan of like the boss framing, um, but like I totally get where you're coming yeah. from. Um, and like, yeah, the answer is like, I'm, I definitely write a lot less code right now than I, than I would normally be doing. I think that's like maybe one of the hardest parts about being like a founder is like, especially as a developer, like you are so used to having this very objective metric of like, are you productive or not? Or are you being impactful or not? And when you're a founder, it becomes much less about you being productive and much more about the team being productive. And so it's like, you know, the way I think about it, it's like, you're not, you're no longer building the machine. You're like building the machine that builds the machine. It's like this meta machine metaphor that I quite like. Um, And so I think that is like maybe one of the biggest challenges and definitely something that I've, um, slowly but definitely have, have pivoted towards um so it's like always you know making sure people are unblocked or making sure that being they're you know being utilized correctly or making sure people are are happy and effective and and their kind of goals are also being um kind of you know reached in, in the same way that the company's goals need to be reached um and prioritizing and like kind of selling the vision and getting funding and you know making sure that the bills are getting paid and and all this kind of crazy stuff that you don't see that goes on behind the scenes but that goes into building kind of, um, you know, a venture-backed startup. Um, and so it's definitely chaos. It definitely is like a different set of skills um, and definitely something that like, you know, we're uh, learning as we go, but it's uh, been a wild ride. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think back to, you were mentioning earlier, just that 
the whole slew of opportunities and different ideas that you can implement to backpack. And a question that I have for you is on from the founder side is that when you have this like thousands of ideas and things that you think would be cool, how do you manage to prioritize which ones should come up first? But even more importantly than that, say, you know, at one point you might want to have product like the the alpha version. And it has a set of features, and maybe you're going to build another feature on top of like features A and B. How do you decide when you stop and release a product instead of going on to the next one? I think that ultimately does that make sense? Yeah. So I mean, I think you're getting, you're getting into like the question of like prioritization and, and when do you like you know how do, how do you know if something's like you should move on or, or, or double down on it? Um, I think it basically boils down to like, do you have other people screaming at you? Um, because they're so excited about like what you're building or what you've built that you just know to double down on it. Um, and honestly, this is why like the NFT world is just like so exciting to me is because, you know, you can build like in public and you can build alongside all these like amazing people that can help you like discover um, kind of the product. Um, I, I very much view like product development much less as like, you know, um, you know, look how smart the founders are and they, they can think of things from first principles and, 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 and create this amazing kind of institution out of thin air. And it's much more of a process of, of like discovery, right? Like I, I was describing this to some folks today where like, you know, you can imagine you're like digging in the dirt and you're like trying to find, you're like, you know, you're like an, it's like, you know, uh, you're, you're, and you're like searching for something, you're searching for like a hidden temple or some, some lost civilization. And then you, eventually you like hit a rock and like, you know, you, you, you're like, oh, is this the right thing? And then you keep digging in the dirt and you're like, oh, that was just a rock. And then, you, you know, you start digging elsewhere and then eventually you find it. Right. Um, but it's very much just like process of like discovery and you're throwing shit against the wall and, and, and you can't really do any of that kind of in isolation. You kind of very much have to do it like with, with a group of people and, and out in the wild and with customers and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's like kind of, um, this kind of crazy, insane process that, uh, requires like, you know, an entire team. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and so, uh, when you mentioned that, like complication of being able to know, um, how you're being productive as a founder, how is, how do you manage to also handle the work ethic to be able to really put that work in and get get through it and always have all of these different things that you have to do and make sure you're on tr track and get all of it done and keep the whole team on track and all of that? Um, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I don't really know how to answer the question. I feel, I feel like um, work ethic is kind of just something that's innate to most people. Um, you kind of either work really hard or, or you kind of don't. Um, and I think like as a founder, you kind of very much have to be on the side of, of, you know, you will do whatever it takes to kind of get something done, no matter kind of like how hard it is to do it. Um, at least if you're doing like venture back stuff, if you're doing like lifestyle business, it's maybe a bit different. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like just this endless war and this endless kind of like mental battle. Or it's not even a mental battle. It's just this endless like, state of mind that like, you know, um, you know, your, your company is going to die unless you kind of, you know, you know, 
get something done and if you don't and and there's like no option other than to get it done right it's like you're you're back you're, you're on the beach and you're, you're with your army and that your back's against the water and the the enemy is approaching and you can either uh, you know go into the ocean and, and and drown or or you know march towards the enemy and 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 conquer them um and it's very much kind of like a do or die kind of um state of mind that kind of you know you have no option but to do it okay down a more like psychological road and like ph philosophical road you mentioned that you think that work ethic is something that you kind of either have or don't have do you think it's a kind of is it something that you can learn to have? Is it something that you're born with? It's something that comes through your education, through your background. What's the take on that? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I, I, I can only like really speak for my own personal experience. Um, I kind of have always just had a, uh, I've always been kind of a workaholic. Um, I suspect there's like other people that are, that are a bit different. Um, yeah, it's hard to generalize these types of things for other folks. Um, I think it could probably be learned, um, but there's not really any. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just kind of not, not really something I, I've thought about too much. Kind of just something I've done. Fair enough. I get that. Um, back to more of like NFT and Web threes and everything. Um, how do you? How in touch do you think you are with the whole space, and how important is it to you? to have that i think for example are you aware of everything that goes on with like all of the amm drama or the smbs being bought out or d gods doing ordinals all of these things how in touch with you how in touch with that are you I, I think i'm like fairly in touch but i'm not like super deep into it um i kind of just have like you know a lot of a lot of friends and connections that are kind of very deep into a lot of this stuff um i mostly just kind of you know just have my head down kind of like working on stuff and building try to like stay away from like a lot of the drama stuff um but i'm more or less aware of like all the things that you mentioned but not like really i don't get in fights on on twitter about them much or you know occasionally that'll happen but i try to minimize the distractions and really just focus on uh, on shipping stuff okay yeah so with all the like developing development and you you make an X, xnft and backpack and mad lads where do you see it like kind of is there an end goal that you have or are you just going to continue building and iterating on whatever the community is kind of going for whatever you think is important for the space is there kind of um a further purpose or end goal that you're going for yeah i think like the end goal is simply that you know all of the most important digital experiences that you have in your life um are happening through through backpack you know whether it's you know, um, managing your finances and, and having self-custody of all of your assets um, to, you know, messaging, you know, your, 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 your close friends and, and, you know, dealing with your social connections kind of in Web3 um, to, you know, accessing, you know, anything in the Web2 world, right? Not just limited to crypto. I feel like the crypto economy is definitely like something that's super important, definitely something that we're really focused on. Um, but, you know, Backpack is just like an app for, you know, for everything. It's not really something that's like we're limiting ourselves into any um, particular kind of, you know, um, you know, uh, set of features. Um, but basically, we just want to, you know, handle all of the most important digital experiences um, and put it in the form of a crypto wallet. 
is there a reason that you're particularly i'm going to use the term passionate imagining that you are passionate about it given you work so much on it but is there a reason that it's come to you to have this kind of passion for digital experiences and having it through backpack and where has that come from well i feel like you know the especially today we're kind of spend most of our time kind of online through these digital experiences like right now we're all kind of you know cyborgs connected to this like single twitter machine you know um, we don't have like wires connected to our brains but we're very much wired into our phones right now right everybody that's listening um is hearing kind of uh is hearing the waves kind of flow through the internet and all the bits that are transferring back and forth um through wires and across the oceans and through switches um and through routers and going to twitter servers and going through all their systems hitting their database and kind of you know um fanning out to everybody's phones it's like this incredible kind of, you know, world that we live in, right? And so like you asked the question, like, why do you care about digital experiences? Um, and it's because, well, they're important, right? And they affect kind of like all of our lives. Um, and so it's like, you know, indistinguishable um, from magic um, to me. And I just want to create like magical kind of, you know, um, experiences to, you know, make people's lives better. Um, and so it's just like a really kind of fun, compelling, interesting kind of like space to work in. And so, you know, you ask the question, like, why, why is this interesting to you? Why are you motivated? Why do you do this? And it's like, I don't know. It's like, how can you not be interested in it? It's like, it's so cool. Um, so it's just something that I'm just like inherently enjoy and hope to keep doing. Awesome. So bouncing off the idea of digital experiences and into a more arguably more niche part of all the digital experiences, what do you think about the metaverse trend? which seems to be something that's going to be a lot more important for well, those digital experiences. You know, the metaverse trends, like really, it's a, it's a tricky topic because on the one hand, it sounds like super cool and interesting. And I love it. Um, like the whole concept of like general kind of, you know, um, digital asset standards that can, you know, be owned and controlled by an individual and out of the hands of like any single kind of, you know, trusted entity you know, whether it's somebody that's running a video game or somebody, uh, an institution like Facebook that controls it. It's like, you know, you know, if, if we're living kind of in the world of like, you know, um, atoms and we're controlled by, you know, guns and, and, and nation states and, and the power structures kind of, uh, of today's world, it's like, well, you know, if we're going to recreate the world from scratch in the digital realm, um, you want that metaverse to be like neutral and, and, and have this kind of like really kind of romantic kind of concept of like, you know, you know, uh, freedom of, of basically everything. Right. Um, and, and that sounds all super like compelling and interesting. And, and, and I love all that from a philosophical perspective. Uh, but you know, if you take a more cynical view you know, of the metaverse and you'd be like, well, you know, the metaverse already exists. It's called the world of Warcraft. Um, and, you know, Fortnite. Um, you know, Twitter it can be thought of as a metaverse. You know, with all the NFTs and profile pictures. Um, and I think like kind of my view is kind of like somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Um, I feel like, you know, People, it's really hard to like make these types of like digital kind of universes. It's a ton of work. Um, it's not just engineering work, but it's like a lot of creative work, right? It's like all the IP that goes into it, all the art, um, all of the music, um, all of the hardcore engineering, all of the storytelling, um, all of the marketing, 
um, it, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh, I write a couple smart contracts, launch a token and then make it happen. Right. Um, and so it's just like, you know, decades of, of, of IP generation and engineering work uh, preceded World of Warcraft alone. Right. Um, and so I feel like, you know, from this perspective, a lot of the metaverse stuff that we hear about today is all kind of a meme. It's all kind of like it was all kind of hype and, and, and kind of we see this now as like, you know, you know, it's it's kind of kind of funny to, to think about a lot of the stuff that people have, have stated up until this point. Um, but I do think it will happen, especially with like, you know, a lot of these kind of, you know, um, you know, new, new kind of pieces of tech that are coming out with like, you know, everything from like, you know, LLMs and ChatGBT to AI generated um, kind of universes. Um, this stuff becomes more and more kind of tractable um, and imaginable by, t by the day. But I think that like we're still uh, a far a ways from it. And, and I don't see any team or company really executing on a concept of a metaverse other than, you know, Fortnite and World of Warcraft. Okay. I'll just like throw this out there that maybe check out portals if you've ever heard of them because they, they are doing metaverse. And I spoke to some of them and it's really interesting what they're doing. But off of that topic, um, you mentioned World of Warcraft, right? And it's uh, obviously gaming and gaming has had its own share of hype and, uh, and a lot of people talking about it in crypto. So do you think it has a future in NFTs? Are you looking forward to it long term, short term? What do you think? Um, I think, yeah, I think gaming is like a huge, huge opportunity. I think like the way that it's going to manifest itself with like Web3 and crypto is still kind of yet to be seen. Um, I think like NFTs and like skins and, and CSGO crates and these types of things are just kind of like no brainers. Um, I think, you know, anything beyond that is still very kind of um, abstract and nebulous to me. Um, but I definitely think that like, you know, some type of integration like that makes a lot of sense. Um, although, you know, it's been pretty hard. A lot of gaming companies have looked at Web3, right? Blizzard had a team that was looking at, you know, blockchains like Solana. Uh, Riot had a team that was like actively doing this. Like these, these companies are filled with really, really smart people um, that, you know, are measuring every little thing, are trying to create like the best, most compelling kind of, you know, games for their customers and in large part are doing it. Um, and so I think that like, you know, Web3 gaming still has a, a, a large, you know, a long way to go. And it's really struggled to find product market fit. Um, but I feel like one area that like hasn't been explored much that honestly should be is just like kind of mini games. Um, you know, through Backpack, we've done a bunch of stuff that kind of resembles gaming. Um, and it's been like a ton of fun, like, you know, to get the invite codes in the beginning, for example, we had these like little games that we created where you basically had a AI generated like stable diffusion dolly type image that was created and you would have to reverse engineer the prompt. Um, and it turns out that game by itself isn't all too interesting, but when you match that game with a, with a, with a chat, it turns out to be a lot of fun. And you have like friends and family and, and, and people sitting in their living rooms together playing kind of this game because you also have this chat room of like people where you can like share the experience with. And so I think the combination of that plus like other kind of like crypto native things, um, you know, whether it's NFTs or other types of like incentive mechanisms could be like a really potent combination for games. Um, and especially if we have like, you know, phones like Saga that allow you to build like crypto native experiences, um, it could lead to like an explosion of like exciting content that people would just like love to do. I love the mention of mini games, especially that the discovery that it was when other people started like toying around with it and actually going at it as a group, because a lot of gaming, not all of it, obviously, but a lot of it does come through with like the experiences that you have with other people. And obviously, when you talk about digital experiences, you're going to want it to be 
with other people and to have that interaction. And you kind of need backpack to be able to facilitate that, right? Yeah, what's nice about kind of backpack as a as a crypto wallet is that like you can really focus on the app and then hook into all this stuff, right? You can hook into like a social graph, you can hook into like, you know, usernames and profile pics and messaging and have all this stuff at your disposal um, so that you can like, you know, focus on just making your game fun um, and kind of not having to worry about reinventing the wheel and getting distribution on all this stuff. So I think it's a pretty compelling value prop from that perspective. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I was also like really happy to hear you mention CSGO. It's always felt like it's the most, the implementation of NFTs that makes the most sense. Um, just skins, trade-ups, mints, it, it reflects NFTs so much and it, you really can see that. But the one, I don't know if you ever really, wait, what? The one that really hits close to my heart is um, mounts in World of Warcraft. Like to me, those are just NFTs. Like I want a really rare mount. And I want to I want to ride it everywhere. And I want everyone to see it. Um, yeah, I just I, if I can work on one thing that I'm not currently working on, um, if I could like pick anything in the world, it would definitely be like NFTs and World of Warcraft. That makes a lot of sense. I I can see that. I'd like to see one thing. I'd love to see is the um, a lot of people. If you could have an NFT, you could track who's owned it. So you could have like whichever pro players out Dragon Lore or. Whichever like really cool dudes mount in World of Warcraft. I don't know if that would work in World of Warcraft. I never played it, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that NFTs can work in gaming. But anyways, you mentioned Saga, and I think a lot of people have when the announcement came out, there was very much mixed reactions between those that thought that it was completely useless, that Solana should work on having less downtime, and then the people who really saw it as a way to onboard people. So I'm going to imagine you're fairly bullish on it and enjoy the concept, but if you had to really elaborate on on why it's so important and why the question that I mostly have is why Saga would compete against pho- other phones, right? Because people would need to go and get that phone for it to really be that much more relevant. Um, so why would it work when you have all these other brands that are already making phones that know how to make phones and have known for a while? That was a long so, question. Yeah, so... This might not be obvious uh, unless you've like built a mobile app. Um, I, as somebody, I, I've worked at kind of you know um, on, on mobile apps previously, and um, I think that you know if you ask any developer, you know any any startup entrepreneur, um, like what is like one of the things that scares you the most about building a mobile app, um, uh, they all will tell you the same thing, uh, which is that like you know Apple and Google, mo- namely Apple. Um, can can kill your business at any given point in time. So you basically have these two monopolies um, that just basically control the internet. Um, basically, if you want to have like real world kind of mainstream adoption for anything, not just crypto, um, it needs to be on a phone. Like mobile is the platform that matters. Everything else is kind of just like a drop in the bucket. Um, you know, extensions, desktop apps, um, websites to a lesser extent. Um, mobile is really the frontier where everything matters. Um, and so, you know, um, you know, if you're going to identify like a single problem to solve in the space where you can snap your fingers and make the problem go away, um, it's basically, it's basically this. So, you know, whether Saga is the, is the solution or not, I I have no idea. Only, only time will tell. Um, but it's definitely the right problem. Um, and crypto's growth and and ability to kind of like, you know, permeate mainstream culture is just going to be, significantly kind of, you know, 
you know, uh, impacted and impaired and, and made more or less impossible until we have crypto native mobile applications. Um, and so whether it's like, you know, DeFi or tokens or, or NFT brands, um, you need mobile apps. Um, if you want like any of these, any of these kind of things to actually truly like reach, you know, on, on this scale of like billions of people around the world, you know, there's a lot of people on the planet that don't have computers. They don't look at websites on anything but a phone. And so um, it's just it's very obviously the most important problem in the space, which is why I think so many developers, so many entrepreneurs, so many people in the Sonic ecosystem that are building stuff are just super excited about Saga. Um, you know, whether it's the right, you know, answer or not, we don't know, but you know, it's definitely the right problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, just bouncing off of that, when is there going to be a, a mobile app for backpack? So right now we're going back and forth with, um, Apple and Google trying to get into the app store. So they have this like very cumbersome review process, uh, where basically you submit the app and then they give you feedback either, you know, tell you to remove stuff because it violates the rules or, you know, there's some UI kind of nuance that they want you to change the way a button looks or you know the way an interaction works um so we're kind of going back and forth right now with them on that but we're looking to have the first version out kind of you know over the next month and then kind of go from there that sounds like a bit of a pain is there like given you have history with apple have you ever been able to like leverage any connections or that history or has it not been helpful at all uh, it hasn't really been helpful at all. So, you know, there's a couple of reasons for this. So first, I was just like, you know, code monkey, you know, as a new grad working there. Um, but the way Apple really works is that it's, um, you know, everything on a need to know basis. Um, so, you know, you kind of work with your team, you work very closely with your team and the rest of the company is just like black magic to you and you're not exposed to any of it at all. So like, you know, a good example of this is when I was there, I was working, um, I was working on the iPhone 10. Um, and you know, one of the engineers in my office wasn't, he didn't have clearance to look at the iPhone 10 because this was like pre-launch and they're just super secretive about everything. So when I was working on it, I was working on that, I was working on the phone. Um, but I had a black cloth over the phone the entire time. And the guy on my team wasn't able to see the phone because, you know, they, they don't want to leak the designs. They want everything to be a surprise to the world. Um, and so they're kind of hardcore about it. Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately, there's not really a lot for that I can do to kind of like leverage those contacts to be able to get past the, the app store re review board. Fair enough. But that sounds that like by cost sounds intense, man. That was how was the experience of getting into Apple after as like after graduating? Because that must have felt like I mean, I'm imagining this, but maybe I'm maybe I'm incorrect. But getting into Apple must have felt like a pretty big step and fairly important at the time. Right. But then how did the experience kind of reflect those expectations, I guess? Yeah, I feel like, you know, especially, you know, as a as a new grad or, you know, when you're getting an internships in schools, like, you know, everything always looks nice from the outside. Um, Apple's an awesome company, a lot of super smart people there. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, a big, you know, big soulless corporation and just another job. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think um, there's a lot of pros and cons, depending on what you're working on and who, who your team is and stuff. Um but yeah, I think it, it was it was a cool cool job, but just you know a huge, huge uh, mega corp. And you know, if you want to kind of move fast and work on kind of cutting edge things, it's probably not the best thing to be at like you know uh, a cog in that machine. How much more enjoyable has Web three been to you than what the experience was in those in that Web two industry? Um, I, yeah, I think it's like you know it's, it's super enjoyable. I mean, I don't know how I would quantify it, but it's definitely been like um, tons of fun. Um, I think the main difference um, and the thing that I love about it so much is just how public 
um, everything is. So like, you know, at Apple, for example, if you if you're like a blogger or if you're like a social media person, like you basically can't do that when you join the company. Um, so you like, you know, you have to be careful about what you tweet. But you, you know, you basically can't, you know, you can't blog. You can't be like, you know, public online because, you know, everything that you do and say is reflective of of the of the company. Um, and so I think from that, you know, point of view, that's probably the thing that I like most about Web3 is that you can be very public. Like everybody's on Twitter. We're all in a Twitter space right now talking openly about stuff like, you know, all the code I've written over the past, like, you know, since like 2017 or 2018 or whatever, it's been open source and, and you can go see it. And I think that's all super empowering for, for an individual um, instead of just like giving their life to kind of, you know, another um, a company that doesn't care about them. Talking about open source, how important is the actual act of open sourcing the code that you write and having that aspect of composability, of allowing other people to access your code? How important do you think that is for you and for the industry as a whole? Yeah, I think um, it really depends on, on what you're building. I think like for the industry as a whole, it's like one of the most important things kind of for the industry. It's like this kind of whole concept of, 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 of verify, don't trust, but verify. Um, and, you know, you can't really have decentralized systems unless you have open source code. Um, and so from that perspective, it's just like a paramount consideration. You know, you, you simply just can't be um, decentralized. Um, but it's also just fun, honestly, like, you know, get to use more code written by other people. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, it's awesome to just see what people build with your stuff that you couldn't imagine on. Uh, you know, I think like, um, the first time that really hit was when like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those B and J jackets from Bartosz and Jordan. Yeah. Um, it's like those B plus J heart jackets, but on the, on the lining inside of it, it's the auction house code from Metaplex. And, and that was really cool to see. Cause it's like, oh yeah, this is all the anchor code. A lot of this stuff I wrote, um, and just like on this jacket and it was like totally unexpected. And so it's just like little things like that, just like kind of make life more fun. Um, it's like a small thing, maybe like a, a kind of a silly thing, but it's kind of, little experiences I think make kind of um, life in Web3 like super meaningful and, and super wholesome. And the same brand of like the, the things that you've noticed that make it well fun and enjoyable. What's the thing that has made you the most prideful of what you've built in Web3? I think like um, probably just you know a couple times i'll just like meet people that will just like they'll like thank me for stuff i'm like why are you thanking me like i just like i i i I didn't do anything worthy of thanks but you know i think there's like a lot of people that that have been super grateful for like a lot of the open source that we've done um and and hearing that from kind of random people that i'll like you know i think i i met somebody like the first time this happened to me in like miami i was like walking down the street and somebody just like pulled me aside and said oh hey you're the guy that built anchor or whatever um, and that was like a pretty cool experience. Um, you know, I'm not like a famous person or anything, but like, you know, th- that happening was like kind of, that was the first time I was like, oh, wow, this like kind of code actually is like, you know, being used by people. And it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty weird thing for a developer that's like not expecting that type of like notoriety. Oh, fam- famous enough to get recognized in the streets of Miami. I feel like that's a, let's step into the walk of fame. Yeah, Miami's a weird place because it's kind of kind of a crypto hub now. So that's definitely not representative of the general population. But there's probably a high concentration of Solana developers there. Yeah, actually, is there? Because so you're based in Chicago, right? But have you ever looked into these different, uh, like the different crypto hubs? And is there an out? Have you really looked at like which places are most uh, viable for people that are working crypto or that are spending a lot of time crypto? Or has it not been on your mind at all? 
hasn't really been my, on my mind at all, honestly. I think I could live anywhere. It doesn't really matter where I live. I'm kind of in the office all the time anyway and connect with all my friends on the internet. So um, I think as long as you got an internet connection and a phone or a computer, um, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of can be in crypto anywhere on the planet. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, back to the, like the whole digital experiences part, right? We talked about metaverse and gaming, but so as, as backpack becomes the hub for where you can have these digital experiences, what do you think is the future of digital experiences? Are there things that are going to happen that we're not looking at now? Are there evolutions of what we're doing right now? How does this uh, evolve in the next five, 10, two years? I think like one of the unexpected consequences of a lot of the stuff that we're all kind of experiencing and working on right now is like, you know, um, with, especially with the rise of Facebook, everybody, you know, the internet kind of started as this like, you know, kind of crazy kind of decentralized kind of system um, with not a lot of like good formal structures, no like big web scale kind of businesses. Um, and everybody was kind of like pseudo anonymous and you had the, all these kind of like crazy kind of like chat rooms and forums. And, you know, if you remember services like AOL and AIM and, and even like things like MySpace, um, it wasn't really till Facebook that I think that like the internet became this like place where like everybody's like real identity was like kind of exposed and everybody acted a certain way and everybody started thinking a certain way and everybody started, you know, um, changing their behaviors online because, you know, ah, it's a photo of me and a name of me and stuff. Um, um, and I think like, you know, on Twitter, you know, um, with, you know, NFTs and, and pseudo anonymous profiles and stuff like, you know, you see a lot of this behavior kind of change, right? You see a lot of like really genuine kind of um, discourse where people are afri aren't afraid to kind of like speak their mind. Um, and I think like, you know, with the advent of like, you know, um, NFTs and, and kind of like the ethos of Web3 and kind of like the social like kind of subculture that has been kind of being created kind of in this like kind of weird L1 kind of niche around the world. I think like, you know, we're going to continue to see a lot more weirdness online. And I think that's like a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, whether it's people showing like their digital avatars as a form of like identity and, and usernames that are kind of like, you know, random screen names that, you know, aren't actually their real names. I, I, I have a couple friends here that I know have these like human names um, that, that's, you know, like, like um, that, that, that aren't actually their real names IRL, but it's just their kind of like identity online. Um, and I think that is like maybe an unexpected um, and subtle kind of um, kind of behavioral change that we're seeing with crypto and Web3 that I'm really interested to see how it affects social product um, as time goes on um, and kind of see us push more and more in that direction to create weird experiences online. How much do you think you're going to be working on creating new experiences compared to just being the hub of these new experiences? I think like, you know, um, we're very much focused on creating these experiences like as like a first order kind of priority. And this is kind of like maybe the one of one of the important roles of Mad Lads. It's like we just want to build these things kind of ourselves and, and kind of um, create the content and uh, create the product. Um, and kind of, you know, being the hub is kind of like nice, but it's kind of like a second secondary goal. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And so um, on like the tangent of you were mentioning Facebook, um, do you think Web3 social media has a reason to exist? Like things, uh, for example, Lens Protocol is the first one that comes to mind. And I think it's the 
really the biggest one right now? So I think like it, it really depends, right? So I'm not super familiar with Lens, but I think like a lot of the stuff that people that I've seen with Web3 Social has been kind of like decentralization for the sake of decentralization, um, which is not really something I'm like super, a super big fan of. I think ultimately at the end of the day, people don't really care about decentralization, but they care about the things that decentralization gives you. And like the best example of this is just like NFTs. So it's like, you know, people don't care that NFTs are on a blockchain. They don't care that they're decentralized. They don't care about that they're immutable. Uh, they just care that they're NFTs, whatever that means, right? Um, but you can't have NFTs on like, you know, um, on a Web2 system, right? You can't just have it on like a normal database or on Facebook or whatever. You need this like special like blockchain infrastructure in order for like the world to like, you know, um, in aggregate agree that like this thing is an NFT again, whatever that means. Um, and, and that's like the, the special part. Right. Um, and so I, I see a lot of these like social media protocols being created um, that are just like basically web two products, like rebuilt on blockchain rails. And it's like, well, what's the point, right? People don't actually want that. Right. People don't want like a messaging app that's like on a blockchain. People don't want like to follow their friends uh, you know, in a, on a slow database, right? It's like, ah, you know, Postgres and, and, and a Web2 database is actually pretty darn good for this. And, and people, that, you know, ultimately just want great experiences, right? They want new novel product and they want to have like, you know, frictionless um, kind of digital kind of, you know, um, connections. Um, and that's the most important thing. And I, and, and I think, so I think from that perspective, like, you know, I don't know much about Lens or any of these other protocols, but I think that's very much the, the perspective that, you know, I, that I look at this from, right? And so, you know, when we're building these things, the question's always like, well, what is the fundamentally new thing that like, you know, the crypto gives you? And if there's no fundamentally new thing, then like, let's not do it. And let's just do it like the classic way, because that's just like better. And that's what people care about at the end of the day. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's definitely the element of people that don't really care about the tech itself and won't look into it, but what matters is what it brings to you. And in the same sense, what do you think are the biggest advantages of decentralization to you? I think like up until now, so there's a couple of big things, right? So like, I think, um, like, you know, NFTs, again, just like continue to be like the, the prime example of like what decentralization can give you, right? It's like, we all agree that like this NFT has provenance um, and because, and that's for one reason, one thing only, right? Because we think that it's immutable and that people can't, um, you know, um, you know, sully the integrity of, of the artwork, right? Um, and that's comes from decentralization because no single actor um, can, can, you know, single-handedly, uh, you know, you know, uh, pull, pull the rug out, you know, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and so I think like from that is like kind of maybe the best example, but, but that apply, that concept applies, not just NFTs, but it also applies to currency and to tokens. Right. And this is why things like Bitcoin are obviously like, you know, so important and valuable and, and very much like re-entering kind of the, the mainstream narrative of like, well, why do we care about all this stuff in the first place? Um, and so I think like, you know, decentralization for the sake of decentralization, uh, isn't really, um, useful by itself, but decentralization as a means to like creating trust in a system or creating this new kind of like substance that we like kind of all kind of collectively call it NFTs, um, is like a really awesome kind of 
kind of result of like kind of this feature or this technological implementation. Okay. So I, I guess it always makes sense in the idea that you don't need to, there's that, I think a lot of people have mentioned the idea of sometimes people are trying to apply a solution where there isn't a problem, right? Yeah, I think that's, uh, there's no better example of that than a lot of the stuff that we see in crypto for sure. Oh, is there an example that you have in mind of uh, somewhere where there's no reason to add crypto to it, but people somewhat, some way have, and they've still managed to garner way too much attention for it? Um, I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of examples. Um, maybe I'll, I'll give like a dumb example because I don't know. I can't think of anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> um, I, I think like nobody's doing this, um, but I think messaging is a, a good example Um where like a lot of people, especially in the early days of Solana, were like saying, oh yeah, we should have messaging apps on the blockchain or whatever. Um, but it's like, no, you shouldn't. There, you, you shouldn't have a messaging app on a blockchain. Um, that's horrible for a, a number of reasons. It's first of all, it's slow. Um, nobody, wants, nobody wants this. It doesn't give you any benefits. Um, it's, you lose all privacy. Uh, turns out signal is just like 10 times better. Um, it's like, I don't want anybody to like see who I'm talking to and what time I'm talking to them and what are the access patterns. Even if it's end-to-end encrypted, you're still leaking a ton of information. Um, and so like, I think that's just like one small example. Um, but you know, there's, there's countless others. It's like absolutely hilarious to go through the, uh, I don't want to hurt anybody, but there are people doing this and they're doing it on Solana and they're not alone. <laughs> there's no defined dialect. So if you ever want to look at how they're using it, but well, I, I know the dialect team well. Um, they're 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 actually they're not doing it on. They started on 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 a blockchain on Solana, yeah. uh, but they actually came to this conclusion as well. Um, and so they actually don't use um they they don't use Solana for their messaging. Um, so you know you can use Solana apps with dialect, but you, the messages that you send don't actually go through the blockchain. So they actually don't apply to this. Okay, fair enough. I actually had no idea that that was how it worked. So my bad. Um, what about on the opposite side of the spectrum? Instead of a project or a concept that really doesn't need crypto and well, most likely blockchain and decentralization, a concept that actually needs it a lot and is vastly improved by it. I think um, the best example of this is just you know traditional finance. Um, you know whether it's like you know um, things like proof of reserves for you know banks or for exchanges um or you know cross institutional settlement right um the whole concept of a verifiable um byzantine fault tolerant audit log of all of the transactions that are happening in a system um such that i can view kind of the state of you know a financial statement you know and be able to say yes that is true and it's cryptographically proven and it's agreed upon by all these different parties is an incredible incredible achievement um and, and you know i think coinbase has been you know touting this kind of meme that's like oh we're going to upgrade the financial system we're going to upgrade the financial system uh but it's like actually though like this is this is definitively an upgrade to the financial system it's um it's 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 great tech for that problem um and i think that like you know it traditional finance is just way better off with it right um and i think um you know this is kind of where a lot of the the blockchain technology started and we're seeing it kind of come to um you know the top of people's minds especially in light of like svb and ftx and usdc and um all of the crazy stuff that's been happening over the past couple months and the more like political space of all of that do you think that 
how like how do you think and how do you see the evolution of blockchain tech crypto in regards to like government regulation that might not always want to have this improvement of the financial sector through this tech or might not want to involve a USDC that isn't controlled by the Fed or all of these things that the government is obviously well has reason to be reticent against right and like do you think that the that they're going to be acceptant of the like a potential new paradigm or how does that regulation kind of come into play and how can it maybe affect you and and XNFTs I think this is okay. So like, I'm not an expert on any of this, but I can give my like, you know, mostly uninformed kind of perspective. I think that like, this is a really, really hard problem. Um, and, and I think that like, you know, obviously, it's a hard problem. Duh. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, um, you know, what makes it so hard is that like, there's so much misinformation out there um, about, you know, the people in crypto, about the usage, about the intentions, about what it is. Um, because like any new technology, right, it can be used for like really great, incredible things that could like change the world in like a really positive way. Uh, but it could also be used for like really horrible things, right? Um, and, and it's always like the really bad things that like people see. Um, and especially because like, you know, so much of crypto has just, especially in the early days, has been such like the technical challenges have been so large. Like we haven't even had like the verbal like capacity or like abilities to like communicate what exactly like what's happening in the space for the past couple of years until like maybe most recently, like, you know, it's really hard to explain this stuff. Right. And so there's tons of miscommunication, whether it's from like normal people or from congressmen or from regulators. Um, and there's just been like maybe a lot of like, you know, um, misunderstandings about like, you know, what the technology is, what it's being used for and why it's important. Um, and so you mix these things with, you know, um, entrenched power structures and institutions that will have an incentive to not change things. Right. Because there's all these people that make all these all this money um, and they want to keep making that money. Right. They don't want to be eliminated as, as you know as a middleman or whatever, or as a source of inefficiency, right? And so they might not be explicitly doing it, but that's kind of institutionalized, right? This kind of inefficiency, um, because people are incentivized to keep the system the way it is. Um, and so it makes it a really, really hard problem, right? Uh, and so almost always, like, kind of the way to, like, kind of operate in such a kind of uh, uh, a situation is to usually try to, you know, you, you could try to have, like, really incredible people try to change the system, right? And you could have, like, really incredible congressmen or really good advocators in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, I think, like, Coinbase is doing a great, a great job in, in that respect. Um, but it's really, really hard to, like, fight against the grain, especially um, when there's so much negative sentiment and misinformation out there. I think, like, events like FTX, for example, were just, like, really set the industry back, you know, probably years, um, you know, because, you know, you had this like really bad actor that did this really horrible thing um, that looked and felt like crypto and it looked and felt like DeFi, but it really wasn't crypto or DeFi at all, right? Um, FTX is a perfect example of the things that crypto has the ability to, um, you know, to protect to protect against, right? Um, and whether you're in crypto or TradFi or whatever, like a scammer is gonna is gonna scam you, and and then you know, there's nothing you can do to protect against, you know, um, to, to protect against that. Um, and so I think like that type of, you know, horrible event just like creates like more, more misinformation. Right. And then the question is, well, like, you know, given all this, like, how do you how do you move forward? Right. Um, and I think what we're seeing to happen, which like I, I hate to say out loud, but I feel like it is happening is like, you know, you know, people are, you know, just doing it and other are, are kind of developing crypto and other places that where it's like, you know, 
maybe more impactful, right? Places where there aren't, you know, um, as developed, you know, financial systems, right? You know, whether it's places like, you know, Africa or, or, or places like, you know, um, Latin America or, or even Asia, right? Where there's like much more, um, you know, uh, clarity around crypto regulation, right? And, and I think that's where we'll see a lot of the um, talent and, and capital flow to um, if, you know, we continue to have a lot of this uncertainty in the U.S., um, and so, you know, what, what, what's the future going to look like? You know, I, I have no idea. Um, but that's kind of like my mostly uninformed perspective on, on kind of the problem and, and what's happening at this time. That makes sense, especially with the, I, I wanted to bounce off the actual, the part of the, like you mentioned earlier that you had that U.S. centric view. And I think a lot of people have a U.S. centric view for crypto because of how much we're always, I mean, all of the cryptos are usually talked about in dollars. Like you're not, you'll never hear someone say, oh, BTC hit 20K euros. No one, no one knows that, right? And it's kind of interesting to see that there definitely is, there definitely does seem to be an evolution of people that are entering crypto that are from other areas and that that might be a way that that evolves. But at the end of the day, I mean, we might see it like work well in other countries and then eventually seep into the US and seep into the countries that might be rejecting it for now, right? But one thing a lot of people are mentioning now, and if, I mean, not that much, I think there's there was a time where people were talking about it even more, but central bank digital currencies, have you heard about those at all? Have you looked into those at all? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm aware of the high level idea. I haven't like looked too deeply into any of them in particular. Okay, fair enough. I mean, is it, I feel like that's a whole rabbit hole to go into. And it's there's so little known about it that you end up having a bunch of uninformed takes that don't really necessarily lead to anywhere. But that's also coming from someone who hasn't looked enough into it. Um, something I wanted to ask, and it's outside of the realm of Web3 and, and NFTs and everything, it's that do you, like... I imagine how much of your time is spent to allocate it to X NFTs and backpack and have you has it really become the complete like focal point of your life or have you been able to like continue doing other things and what kind of other ways do you like spend your time I guess Oh man uh, yeah I think I spend um basically 99% of my time in the office focusing on the, on the company um and the rest of my time basically is spent um you know the, the 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 small you know uh brief kind of moments i get at home with like you know um with my family um but yeah majority of my time is just you know uh, the company backpack xnfts mad lads um and i haven't seen anything in, in chicago other than the office in my home <laughs> i mean fair enough is there ever does is there ever come up like an issue of maybe being able to balance all of these things at the same time or does it just work and uh and you're vibing through with it uh no it's never really come up as a problem it's kind of just kind of like who i am i suppose um it's kind of you know what i i kind of view it as required if you're gonna you know build one of these kind of um venture-backed companies and so it's like very much kind of what i signed up for and so there's no like kind of it's not like a drag or anything like that. It's kind of just uh, that's the game that we're playing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a, like what it's what they always say: crypto is twenty four seven, weekends, Mondays, fucking Wednesdays, whatever day of the week, it's always up there, whatever time of the day as well. Um, so once 
once you you said mentioned that you really want to be like building these digital experiences but do you think that you want to have would you say that backpack could become a kind of legacy for you like the legacy that you leave of being able to create this thing that has built through these digital experiences and might become a point of like high importance for people's lives that like go through backpack using it and living through the digital experiences through backpack i mean i don't know about the whole legacy thing but like yeah. the, the goal is definitely to build kind of software and build products and build brands that kind of change the world right um i think anything short of that is kind of a failure um and so it's very much we want to maximize impact um and very much want to like you know um, build an institution that is fundamentally kind of used by kind of the maximum amount of people um to kind of you know make the world a better place in whatever way that means to you know you right now that that ecosystem is composed of NX, NFT and uh, and Mad Lads. Do you have plans to expand it and make it something larger to actually? Because obviously you can onboard all of the users onto Backpack, but when Mad Lads is limited to 10k PFPs, you're limited to 10k people, right? So is there any idea you have to expand that, or any plan that you want to have on that point, or do you think it's a good level for the ecosystem? Yeah, I think. Um, well, so I kind of view this as like uh, as levels. So like, you know, if you want to like, you know, get to like level 60, you have to go through like level one to, you know, 59 first. Um, and so we're very much in like the early, the early levels and, and with every kind of project and every kind of, you know, milestone, we're kind of like constantly leveling up, constantly growing. Um, and the more we grow, we can do more and more ambitious things. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think I want to share too much about kind of like what we have planned out for the next like six months over the next year. Uh, but we definitely have a bunch of stuff that we're doing that I think is going to, um, you know, one up or, or maybe 10x kind of like our, you know, original ambitions with Backpack and XNFTs. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that we're doing. But step one is, is, is Mad Lads and building a kick-ass community and a kick-ass brand. Um, step two is just kind of, you know, making the wallet you know, um, used throughout all of Solana, um, and, and, and kind of step three, um, multi-chain and then kind of from then on, you know, we'll kind of share that information as we come out, but we definitely have a lot of, um, uh, ambitions to grow beyond that. Are there plans to grow into the, well, obviously without going into things that you wouldn't want to go out to go into, uh, plans of getting through to not necessarily multi-chain, but actually mainstream adoption? like that word that everyone throws around yeah that's that's the name of the game um i you know probably don't care about anything more than i care about that i think like the current set of uh, of crypto kind of users is like it's it's kind of like embarrassing how small it is and it's pretty meaningless um and and you can see this by just like looking at the numbers and so like whenever people say oh i want to be number one in the ecosystem or whatever it's actually kind of like a lost kind of cause it's like well what's the point uh, you don't want to be one number one in the ecosystem you want to be like you know a number like you know hundredth in the world which is like you know 10 times the being number one in solana or ethereum or whatever um and so it's like you know you want to compare yourself against like the right kind of people and and, and so it's like you're not really competing against you know the the current state of crypto you're really competing against like the giants of the world like the the instagrams and the the, the tiktoks and the the nikes and the disney's and 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 that's the level of scale that you want to get to um and anything kind of um you know anything kind of short of that is more or less kind of a you know a waste of time from my perspective ambitious <laughs> uh 
Um, and so you mentioned the side of um, not wanting to share all of the details, but having a lot of information. How do you balance that side of building in public and making sure people are aware of what you're doing, but at the same time, keeping that veil of mystery so that people are excited about it and people have that speculation side? Is it is it really important to you? How do you do it? What role does it play for you guys? Yeah, I think it, like it's it's really case um, it's case by case decision. Um, ultimately, we want to like you know surprise and and delight and and make people just like feel super hyped about all the all the cool stuff that we're building. Um, I think like it really depends on like you know the stage of the company and 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 one's kind of like reputation or whatever. Um, I think we're like lucky at this point where like people know that if we say that we're going to do something, we do it. It's not like hype and speculation. It's just kind of like you know, um, what we're kind of, you know, known for. Um, and so I think, you know, we're kind of like at the stage where we can be a little more um, um, secretive if it means that like we're going to kind of like deliver on something awesome. Um, I think like maybe the best example of this is like XNFTs. I don't know if like anybody kind of listening to this remembers, but like, you know, we had like, you know, all like literally all of Solana Twitter talking about XNFTs and with XNFTs in, in their names for like several months. It was like this crazy kind of thing um, before we ever even built any of it. It was all just an idea. Um, and, and, you know, people were excited about it because they knew we would build it. Um, we wouldn't like say we would do it and like write a white paper and then like, you know, raise a token and then like right off into the sunset, right? We actually just like built the thing and, and didn't do any of that um, other than just like shit the damn thing. Um, and so I think like it really depends. Um, but ultimately, we just want to build like really exciting, compelling experiences that take people on like an emotional kind of emotionally pleasant roller coaster. Um, and so if you got to keep things secret to kind of, you know, achieve that goal, then um, it's a pretty valuable thing. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Apple frames it as this feeling of like Christmas morning surprise, right? You want to like wake up and see the gifts that Santa Claus brought you. Um, and I think that's a pretty cool mental model for um, delivering a uh, product and secrecy to, to folks. Um, but you're totally right. It's a fine line to, to toe when you have a community that you want to get feedback on and, and people that you care a lot about knowing that you're like working really hard every day for them. Um, but I think, you know, you can kind of balance that with, with trust. Um, namely deserved trust that is kind of like built up over a long period of time. If you actually managed to nail that like analogy of Santa of like the Christmas morning gift, that would be awesome. I think it's, it's definitely what you mentioned, like the name of the game of getting that people to really be happy about it. And not that many people have managed to nail it in crypto. Not that many, somehow with as many people talking about community and everything, not everyone really gets web three and how that works and I mean, it sounds like you're getting it but we'll see how everything goes right but so on that same level of the importance of like the hype and everything how is some people will tell you that floor price is what founders should focus on other people will tell you floor price is a byproduct of the products you make people will tell you that you need to focus on floor price and so you focus on the by on the products to get that like byproduct which is floor price how do you see that outlook on floor price, its importance for people, for you as a company, for the products that you make? How important is it as like that number? I think like, well, I think like a, a well-informed person wouldn't answer that question. <laughs> um, but I, I think like, you know, I think I, I could say that like, um, 
I, I, I think like ultimately what matters is that you solve really hard problems for, um, for your community. Um, you know, whether you're making, you know, whether you're like, you know, making like hard technical innovations that like, you know, increase the performance of a L1 blockchain like Solana um, or whether you're just like, you know, having fun and throwing parties and spreading good vibes and making friends around the world and just bringing happiness to people. Um, all that matters is is the value um, that you're bringing to kind of that community. Um, and I think that like, you know, if your sole attention is on doing nothing but making kind of those people's lives better in some very meaningful, very tangible, uh, very explicit way. Um, and you do that um, over a long period of time um, and really just ignore everything else. I think that's like a really good kind of recipe for success. Which makes me want to ask the question, what is your favorite NFT project or the one that you've enjoyed the most and that has provided well exactly that to you the most? Oh man, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of really great NFT projects. Uh, there's a lot of really bad NFT projects. Um, I think different NFT projects have brought in different like levels of of, of happiness and, and utility and excitement. Um, I think like you know, if I had to pick one in all of crypto, um, I think there's not many that I think would would satisfy like the bar that I, that I would have for myself, honestly. Um, I think one that's very near and dear to my heart um, for no reason other than maybe nostalgia and the art alone is the Galactic Geckos. Um, it's really, you know, I think the, the team that kind of originally found of it, I, I don't know the full story, but, you know, I think they're kind of maybe known as a soft drug. I, I, I don't know the full story. Um, it's since been revived. Um, but the reasons why I, I like it is, for no reasons, for, for neither of those reasons. Um, it's it's simply just because it's nostalgic for me. It was like one of the first NFTs that I like really bought and loved when NFTs were just ripping on Solana, um, when none of us had any idea that like these fucking NFTs were gonna be the whole reason why we exist on this network. Like when we first like came to this network, we we're all like Anatolia was just like, oh yeah, we're gonna build you know decentralized NASDAQ. It's gonna all gonna be all about DeFi and order books. Uh, but now it's all about JPEGs and, and, I, and I fucking love it. Um, but for, for me personally, the geckos were like the first collection that really like, you know, signaled that like change for me. Um, and so it's kind of a personal, uh, a personal reason more so than any, anything else. Um, so, yeah, I love the geckos and it's, uh, you know, awesome artwork and I have a killer honorary that I love. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I'd point to the geckos and then obviously mad lads. But, you know, I can't show my own my own project here. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. The art for Mad Lads looks really cool, by the way. That was uh, I'm, I'm very excited for this to see what gives for the whole collection. Because so it's always the whole collection that matters. The ones that people show as profile pictures and that they put as sneak peeks, they tend to be the best ones. What really matters is that is that final reveal to see what really shows the uh, the beauty of it and if it'll resonate with people or not. But geckos are definitely a great choice. And yeah, they were basically their team left and the DAO bought the assets back. And since then, they built building. And they ripped to like fucking 50 Soul 4 or something recently. They were massive. They went huge. It was awesome to see. Really an OG project coming back from like, not the dead, but kind of. Um, and so instead of a favorite project, but maybe your answer will be the same, is there a project that inspires you 
and whether it be NFTs or DeFi or maybe just another startup that you know, is there something that's really been an inspiration for yourself or for XNFT and Backpack? Oh man, that, that's a that's a really good question. A project that inspires me. Um, hmm. I think like this this might be like a, kind of a weird answer, especially because we have like a very Solana centric um, audience here, um, and, and these guys are you know maybe get a. Th- th- they're maybe some people view them as villains, which is also maybe why they inspire me. Um, but but I have a lot of respect, you know, for for the for the D Gods team um, because I think um, they've done a really incredible job at um, at at being on um, you know at at, fo- at focusing on just like you know not stopping. Um, you know, maybe you can point at like things that they're really bad at. Um, maybe, you know, you dislike them for like personal reasons, um, which, okay, maybe there's like fair comments on like, you know, there, you know, um, maybe there's like miscommunication on Twitter or whatever. Maybe they, you know, kick Solano when they were down. Um, I think there's probably like truth in a lot of that stuff. Um, but I really respect kind of like what they've done because they've just been incredibly effective at just building an incredible kind of community. Um, and like, you know, no matter like, you know, what you want to say about them, you can't really take that away from them. Um, and like being a founder is just like super hard. Um, and like building stuff in public, just like super, super insanely hard. Um, and they just like kind of take all the punches and just like keep going. Um, and so I think from that perspective, that's like, you know, at least in terms of NFT projects, um, definitely a team that's like, um, done really well and, and, and something that, you know, uh, we'd like to emulate and, and like, kind of like learn from, um, you know, as, uh, you know, you know, as, as somebody that's like trying to, you know, be public facing and, and engaging with people all around the world. So maybe kind of a unexpected answer, but, you know, I think that's one of the teams that just like come to my mind. At the end of the day, D gods are number one for a reason, man. They made it there and they deserve that spot. Like uh, I know, and as you said, a lot of people will not necessarily appreciate that take, and a lot of people have thrown shade at them for what some people consider as hate for Solana. But I mean, I'll tend to agree, and uh, I don't think it's really like the the focal point of the discussion that we should have. But D gods, I think it's I think that's a great answer, and it makes a lot of sense. And there's so much that that there is worth looking into from what they've done to understand how they went from being a project that was just completely dead in like December 2021 to 600 soul floor. It's crazy. So if you had to name one like mistake that you've made that you learned the most from and maybe on the opposite side, like something that you did that just worked really well and you were like, shit, I need to continue doing this more while working with Mad Lads and Backpack, what would they be? A mistake that I made. I don't know. I think I make tons of dumb mistakes. Um, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, in terms of stuff that I think work has worked quite well, I think, like, um, I think we've done, like, a pretty, like, decent job of, of just, like, you know, building kind of a genuine, I said this in the beginning, but like just getting really nice people kind of involved with the community. Um, I think it's like pretty rare to find that online. 
um, and like people that like really care about the project and, and, and want to like actually see it grow. Um, and so I think that's, I don't know if we've done a good job, but like definitely something I like think about all the time and want to continuously like figure out how to make it better and better and better. Um, so I think just like building that, that army is like kind of maybe the, I don't know if it answers the question at all, but it's definitely the thing that's constantly at the top of my mind. Um, in terms of like things we've done a really bad job on or that I personally have done a bad job on, um, I think, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 nothing immediately comes to my mind. Sorry, not a great answer. Fair enough, man. <laughs> like, uh, there's, hey, look, if it's sometimes the question just doesn't hit. Um, I think with that being said, we've hit an hour and 40 minutes, and um, I think it's a good time to kind of start closing it off. Um, just one question that comes to mind is, is there ever a question or something that you'd like to mention that you've never, that people don't ask about or that you don't really have the chance to mention that you would like to say? I think, um, I, yeah, I, th I think maybe doesn't exactly answer the question, but like maybe for folks that are listening that are like, used to kind of like nft projects i think that like maybe one difference i think between mad lads and like basically every other project i think that has like ever existed in the history of nfts other than like maybe one or two um is that we're very much like you know um we're, we're a normal nft project but we're very much here to like build really kind of compelling tech and, and product um uh for for, for for kind of um for the world. And so like the way we kind of are thinking about the project and is very much like, you know, holders as like kind of um, as, as, as contributors from the perspective of like, well, our job is to like build stuff uh, for the holders. Um, and so like, you know, I think, you know, I think that, you know, if, you know, folks are listening to this and like, you're thinking about like joining the project or whatever um, would definitely like encourage folks to like think of it from, from that lens um, which means th everything from like, you know, product feedback to being like super involved with like, you know, um, with like growing the system um, because like ultimately the end goal is to like get a critical mass of people so that we have like a network effect to have like really compelling web three social product. Um, and so kind of, you know, we really just want to build an army um, that just like grows and grows and grows, you know, whether it's 10,000 to, you know, a hundred thousand to a million um, of, of people all around the world. Right. And so we're very much like building kind of the community and we're building the product um, with this orientation. Um, and with this like kind of like viral kind of a growth uh, mechanism in mind. Um, and, and so I think it'll be like a, a very different experience than I think what most people are used to. Um, and so would love to just like, you know, um, you know, just highlight that as like a point, because I think um, I, I think it'll kind of attract kind of, um, you know, a different type of person than what might normally kind of, you know, uh, attract people to different N NFT projects. And that take is the take of really like that viral growth and making it different. I'm just so excited to see like how you really make it different and how you change it, change the game basically. If right now, just because a couple of people have asked the question, is there still a way for people to join it through whitelist number one? And if you're like, if this is anything you'd be like open to share, is there any news on the time of mint or the marketplaces that will be used for the mint? 
so in terms of like getting the whitelist, um, I don't think there's like really many like um, e like formal ways to get it anymore. Um, I think there's there's the Lads and Lightning kind of event that we've been doing. Um, honestly, the answer though is just like do awesome stuff, like be fucking awesome, um, and like you'll get it. Like there's no formal way of doing it. Um, you know that we've had tons of 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 just like ways to get it. Um, we try to make it like as fair as possible, but it's like you know it's really hard. Um, and and so there's no kind of you know, single way of doing it. Um, but I think the, the easiest way right now is probably to enter the lads and lightning kind of event. So we, we made this song, we produced this song. Um, it's like kind of like a rock and roll kind of like, uh, like metal track. It's actually pretty dope. Um, uh, you know, um, I played a lot of music kind of when I was younger and, and, and helped, um, and got Tristan's, uh, cousin to produce this guitar riff. And then, you know, we kind of produced it based off of that. This like kind of pretty awesome song and now people are, are making videos on it and they're riffing on it. They're kind of like doing TikTok memes with it. Um, so I think that's like probably the easiest kind of way to get the whitelist right now. Uh, but if you don't get it, you know, don't worry about it. There'll be, there'll be a public mint. Um, that'll be fair game. Um, it's all going to be done through backpack. We're going to have bot prevention. Um, you know, no guarantees that it's perfect. It's never perfect, but I think it'll be pretty good, um, better than most things. Um, and if you don't get the public mint, you know, I think also one of my kind of like sole focuses, you know, immediately post mint for like several months will simply just be like finding and identifying people that care, right? So like if you're a flipper, um, that's great, but like we'll probably ignore you. Um, but if you're looking, if you're like, you know, diamond handsing it and, and you're like, you know, a legit kind of, you know, person that like cares about like building cool stuff um, and like, you know, being part of like a substantive product, then like it's my job to basically find you. Um, so help me find you. <laughs> um, and it's basically, you know, for the several months post mint, I'm going to be doing nothing but that. Um, and so, you know, obviously building product and all that fun stuff, uh, but building a, a hardcore, super strong, passionate, and most importantly, kind community is like my number one job at the moment. Um, so if you don't get the whitelist, if you don't get the public mint, you know, you can't sweep secondary, you know, we're going to continuously be doing this over time, over time, continuously figuring out ways to like widen the distribution. Um, because ultimately, you know, a, a, a perfect world will look like, you know, 10,000 unique holders with zero trading volume. Um, because people love the, the project so much that they're holding it to the grave and they're, you know, um, spending as much time as they can participating in it. Um, and that's very much like kind of the type of community community that we want to build uh, over a long period of time. So don't get disheartened. The internet's like kind of maybe hard to like we do the noise. Um, but that's maybe kind of the, the things I would say about the upcoming mint. Fuck yeah. Any idea on when it'll be? Uh, April. Yeah. So um, no official date um, as of yet, but we'll probably give like a week's notice. Um, if you have the whitelist token, make sure that you pay attention and make sure you're there. Cause if you're not there for the mint, you're not going to mint it. Um, it doesn't matter if you have the whitelist or token or not. Um, but yeah, it'll be April. Um, we'll be loud about it. We'll give plenty of heads up and, and instructions on, on how the mint will work. Um, but it should be fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot for answering those questions. Um, so typically to close it off here, I'll just like, if you want to shout anything out, uh, now's a chance, whether it be people, projects, thoughts, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, follow mad lads, follow backpack. Um, those are maybe the two things I'd chill. I've been chilling it for the past hour and a half already. Um, but yeah, be kind on the internet and thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate the time. Thanks a lot for joining, man. It was, uh, it really was a pleasure. Um,
the for anyone who's listening you can claim the nft it's a po-op so anyone who listens can claim that nft and i'm gonna see if i do anything cool with that uh podcast on tuesdays and thursdays with a bunch of different people and yeah armani thanks a lot for joining best of luck with mad lads the mint and everything that comes next and thank you everyone for listening